Wretched Radio begins in three, two, one. Every once in a while, we gotta f*** the religious people. There are 720 churches in Charlotte. I'm sure we can find one where you can stuff your face. Shut up. Quit pointing out the problem. Men will be proud, arrogant, abusive. You watch some of today's rock star pastors and you will see every characteristic Paul listed played out in vivid detail on the church stage. It's time for Wretched Radio with Todd Friel. Oh boy! This is Wretched Radio bringing you the latest. How's my enthusiasm, Jimmy? It's uh, outstanding. Oh, this is <laughs> bringing you the latest in celebrity news. Slapping a Bible verse on it and calling it The Chosen. Oh, wait, I'm sorry. That's not it exactly. This is Wretched Radio. Did you see the billboards? The very popular series, The Chosen, which I encourage you to choose something else, put up billboards in an effort to reach people who just don't seem to want to watch the program. A little bit of a problem with that. It was crude. It was trickery. It's bait and switchy, it's dishonest, and it's just a little bit too on the cheeky side when we are talking about our Savior. They put up billboards for the chosen that looked like they had graffiti all over them. See what they did there? Leading them to a website whose name I don't want to say, but I'm going to so you can get the point. The website was called the Chosen S-U-X. Okay, then. <sighs> Angel Studios, the company behind the hit Christian streaming series about the life of Jesus. Well, sort of. The Chosen unveiled a satirical promotion ahead of Easter. Well, why wouldn't you use Easter as a gambit to get people to watch your Christian show? I can't see any reason that's a problem. Earlier this week, 48 of the 70 billboards promoting The Chosen were defaced with graffiti. Some billboard ads now feature funny doodles over the face of Jesus. <laughs> That's so cool. That's going to get people to watch The Chosen, which is produced by a fellow who affirms both Mormonism and Roman Catholicism as being Orthodox faith. That should be a trustworthy series. Thought this would be a zany way to get people to ultimately watch their program. By taking this approach, what we wanted to do is really aim squarely at that target audience and say, hey, you know, we're a little different. Actually, no, you're, you're just like typical mainstream evangelicalism. That's what you're like. This show is different. And so in order to do that, we needed to grab attention. We thought satire was the best way to do it. Oh, it, Jimmy, I forgot pragmatism is just fine <laughs> and using satire about your savior. Charming. I hope it worked, boys. When asked about how some have found the campaign to be in poor taste, the spokesperson said, we expected some of that. This is something that people really love. They love this show, and so we have a fan base that's passionate about it. The show is fan-supported. We knew that some of them, first of all, probably wouldn't understand the joke. No, we get the joke. It's not funny. And your methods are not godly. 
and they shouldn't be putting graffiti on the face of Jesus in order to justify people somehow finding a film which is sort of about Jesus. Oh, I know there's plenty to be agitated about these days. <laughs> like Bill Maher <clears throat> saying everyone in the Bible has slaves asking should we cancel God? Now, that headline, it's a touch misleading because he did talk about canceling in his new HBO series called Adulting, where he asks, hey, the cancel culture, everybody's canceling everybody. Well, God did some bad things. Should we cancel God? So it wasn't like it was an outward assault on the existence of God. But he then went on to say, but it's not that I'm not trying to accomplish that. I've tried really both testaments have lots of rules and laws about slavery, and none of them are don't do it. No, the, the rule is don't do that kind of slavery. But this kind of slavery has been an acceptable economic system in many cultures. Now, abuses, the Bible condemns it, but it also gives rules for how to do it properly. It doesn't have to be sinful. And Bill Maher makes the mistake that pretty much every progressive does these days in equating, in equating American chattel slavery to biblical slavery. They're simply a different thing. was watching a bit of the special. This was interesting to me on Benjamin Franklin. When Benjamin Franklin, not a Christian, decided to go, it wasn't called an apprenticeship. It might have been called servitude that he promised to work for a man who happened to be his brother for 10 years to learn the printing trade and then possibly take over more responsibilities and maybe the business itself. And Ben Franklin, by the way, skedaddled when he thought his brother was going to be really mad at him because he was writing underneath a pseudonym. He decided to skedaddle. I think that's when he went to Philadelphia. Well, he, he was, in a sense, if you want to use a broad definition of the term slavery, that's what you sold yourself into the care of somebody where you had to work for them for 10 years. Now, there was an end to it, and that's biblical also. The Bible chooses the number seven, not 10, but there should be an end to it. It shouldn't be a lifelong thing. Now, there were some people who enjoyed their relationship with their, quote, owner, so much that they would actually get an owl in their ear, not a big furry bird that goes, hoo, hoo, but a, a, a piercing in their ear that identified them with their owner for life. And so slavery, some people were actually okay with being in that relationship. Now, abuses the Bible condemns, but as an economic system rightly done, it does not have to be sinful. Bill Maher, probably not getting that so much. However, the article did go on to talk, talk about a statement that Bill Maher made in Religious. This is back in 2008. He did a documentary combining the words religion and ridiculous. See what he did right there? Mr. Olive Branch. Mr. Hey, why can't we just talk about something else and get along while I do 60 minutes of stand up bashing everything conservative politically? What? Or about God. Hey, we should be able to just get along. Yeah. Here's what he said. 
The irony of religion is that because of its power to divert man to destructive courses, well, what does that have to do with the truth? Nothing. The world could actually come to an end. The plain fact is religion must die for mankind to live. The hour is getting very late to be able to indulge in having in key decisions made by religious people. I, Bill, I join you. I don't know why we can't just get along. Why the anybody's upset with... I, I got a guess. Well, what's that, Jimmy? <laughs> <laughs> Speaking of giving up on God, don't know if you saw in a newspaper. You remember those, don't you? Here's the headline. In this time of war, I propose we give up God. That was in the New York Times. <laughs> Think there isn't anti-Christian sentiment out there? It was an article, frankly. It bordered on so incoherent that it was difficult to read, but here's a quote. Perhaps now as missiles rain down and the dead are discovered in mass graves, is a good time to stop emulating this hateful God. He was an Orthodox Jew. Perhaps we can stop extolling his brutality. Perhaps now is a good time to teach our children to pass over God. Oh, oh, it's a Passover joke. I get it. To be as unlike him as possible. Why do people blanch, in this instance, at God sending plagues? God killing whoever he wants to. They have a pretty low view of God. They think that he should be just like them, and you shouldn't do something like that. But here's the reality. Out of the billions and billions of people who have died on this planet, God is the one who determined their death date. If you will, God put an end to their earthly life. God does it all day, every day, and he can do it with whomever he pleases. He did it in the Old Testament. We see him doing it in the New. Ask Ananias and Sapphira. Read the book of Revelation. It is God's prerogative to do with human beings as he sees fit. Now, he always does that, which is right, good, and just. But he can kill anybody that he wants to, any time that he wants to. And while the world might find this to be a little bit difficult to digest, it stems from such a puny understanding of God we think that he, the one who made them, sustained them, has endured their rebellion, their taunts, their animosity, their outright rejection of him, their cursing and blaspheming of his name. Why? We, these days, we don't allow certain words to be used because they're too offensive. But we sure can use the name of Jesus to blaspheme. That's just fine. And God, because he is righteous and just, he can decide, does decide, and will decide when everybody dies. This is Wretched Radio. Thank you for listening to Wretched Radio today. We are certainly grateful for your time. So here's a crazy scenario. Did you know that there is a way for you to know all of the latest happenings at Wretched? When you can't even keep up with all that's happening in your own life, you can keep up with everything happening at Wretched. See, told you it was a crazy scenario. But you can keep up with all of these things by signing up to receive the monthly Wretched newsletter. Each month, Wretched sends out a newsletter covering tough theological issues Christians are facing 
facing today, and you're also going to get the updates about what's new and upcoming at Wretched. Makes you kind of wish somebody would send you a newsletter about what's going on in your own life. Well, we can't do that, but we can certainly let you know what's happening in ours. Plus, we give away resources every single day to one of our newsletter recipients. So go get signed up for the Wretched newsletter now at wretched.org slash newsletter. Wretched. Amazing grace. Amazing gospel. There are brothers and sisters in Ukraine who could use your help right now. Max, the Tomorrow Club's leader in Ukraine, visited us on the telephone to share the need that many believers in eastern Ukraine currently have. Our focus was children evangelism. And right now, we have to walk away from that and really serve those families who had to escape. Our Tomorrow Club leaders in the West trying to meet the needs of those families. It's a good opportunity to show Christ to them in this time of trial. Pretty unlikely that you can visit Ukraine to help those brothers and sisters, but there are hands and feet on the ground, the Tomorrow Club leaders helping out brothers and sisters in need in Ukraine. To learn more about how you can help and support the Tomorrow Clubs, who we hope will quickly return to children evangelism, learn more at tomorrowclubs.org slash wretched, tomorrowclubs.org slash wretched. We've been telling you for well over a year that our newest production, Transformed, would be coming soon. We can finally say that Season 1 of Transformed is available now at Wretched.org and will also be airing on Christian TV networks all over the country. Transformed is like nothing else on Christian TV. You'll have the opportunity to be a fly on the wall and witness real biblical counseling sessions with real people that struggle with OCD, substance abuse, grief, self-harm, anxiety, pain, lack of assurance, and more. You'll be shocked and encouraged at not only the Bible's ability to pinpoint a believer's struggle, but also offer powerful solutions. Not years of weekly visits or the band-aid of medication, but real biblical solutions. With the help of Dr. Greg Gifford and Dr. Dale Johnson, you will witness people go from brokenness to wholeness. Transformed like nothing else on Christian TV and available now at wretched.org. And don't forget the study guide. That's wretched.org. <laughs> Books of the Bible. Ezekiel was a prophet and priest in Israel. The language in the book of Ezekiel is often symbolic and figurative, but the message is clear. God rules over and judges men and nations. When you are tempted by sin, Ezekiel reminds us that God is holy and has called his people to holiness. He will go to great lengths to purge evil from among them. This is Wretched Radio with Todd Friel. Entertainment, we've got your... Hold on. Breaking news. Hey, it works for Fox. This is Wretched Radio. Enough about the entertainment business. Let's get to politics, shall we? A little bit of this, a little bit of that. We are your fair and balanced program. Not that I won't give you an opinion because... Like every news broadcast, I'm going to. But we're balanced because I've got some good stories and I've got some he that's the correct word, stories. There's a little bit of good, a little bit of bad here. Let's take the good when we can. Shawnee University, it's in Ohio, having to pay a professor $400,000 because they wanted to settle out of court. They didn't say, yeah, we were, we were bad and forcing him to use pronouns he didn't want to use. 
We just want to save some money. I also think they did it because they knew which way the courts would go. Overall, I haven't seen a story yet. There might be one out there. But overall, even though government, big business, and the bazillionaires of the planet with their progressive agendas, have not been successful in the court in stifling religious freedom. They just have not been able to do it. And you, if you see a story that, that demonstrates, uh-oh, they're making inroads in the court, I am happy to see it sent to idea at wretched.org. But so far, at least in this category, so okay. We aren't seeing the courts affirm progressivism Yet, on the other hand, New Jersey to require second graders learn about gender identity this fall. Well, that's good. They start them off in the first grade. It's unbelievable what they want to do in the fall with kids in New Jersey. The standards listed performance expectations for second graders, which include discussing the range of ways people express their gender, and how gender role stereotypes may limit behavior. So if we stereotype with this male and female, anybody who stands outside of those monikers, well, they just can't be the you that they are or something. One school district in the state distributed sample lesson plans indicating first graders could be taught they can have boy parts but feel like a girl. Do you think this is what Shania Twain had in mind? Was she ahead of her time? One lesson plan called Purple, Pink, and Blue instructs teachers to talk to their first graders about gender identity. And its first objective is to have the students be able to define gender, gender identity, and gender role stereotypes. Huh. Jimmy? I could not do that when I graduated high school. First grade. (laughs) We're going to get it crammed down their throats. Right at the jump. The lesson's second objective is to have students name at least two things that they've been taught about gender role stereotypes and how those things may limit people of all genders. Gen- see, if you, see if you can pick out the repeated word in the guidelines for indoctrinating our children. Gender identity is that feeling of knowing your gender. You might feel like you were a boy. You might feel like you were a girl. You might feel like you're a boy, even if you have body parts that some people might tell you are girl parts. You might feel like you're a girl, even if you have body parts that some people might say are boy parts. And you might not feel like you're a boy or a girl, but you're a little bit of both. No matter how you feel, you're perfectly normal. I don't know if you picked up on that repeated word. Did you catch that, Jimmy? Uh, Might. No. (laughs) Feel. Your feelings trump reality. If this is not some of the rotten fruit of the movement of autonomous self in our society, I don't know what is. We can feel that we're something other than we're not. Do you know there's a trend going on? I can't recall if we talked about this. Furries. That these are people. These are these are people who think that they're cats. And this is kind of the trend in high schools, maybe even middle schools, where the kids claim to be cats, so they sit there licking their paws, I mean hands. They do do cat-like behavior, probably. And then, of course, 
when anybody says hi, they just walk in the opposite direction because that's usually what cats do. And the parents are actually insisting that the schools uh, treat them like cats, providing litter boxes for them. Not kidding. And I'm just telling you, this is what's going on. It's a nationwide. Ask somebody who teaches high school. They'll tell you. Now, if I were the principal and I received that phone call, which I'd be happy to do, I, Mr. I'm sorry, Tabby Nip Nip. That's the name of your child is Tabby Nip Nip. Okay. Um, You want us to provide litter boxes for your child who believes he's a cat to use. Well, we can do that, but we are going to do what we do with cat litter boxes and put them anywhere we want to. They will not be in a private place. Furthermore, in an ode to Bob Barker, we think he had a great deal of wisdom when it came to spaying and neutering your pets. So, hello? Hello? Hello, where did where did anybody? Parents? What happened to the, the parents here? There's another, what was the other, I heard another one that's also a trend where people are thinking, well, you can pretty much think that you're whatever you want to these days. It doesn't get more detached from reality than that, does it? Another lesson plan for second graders, understanding our bodies. It's none of your business what our kids think about their bodies, educator person. Honestly. Tells teachers to instruct students there are some body parts that mostly just girls have and some parts that mostly just boys have. Being a boy or girl doesn't mean you have those parts. Your body is exactly right for you. The objectives for the second grade lesson include having children be able to identify at least four body parts from female and male genitalia and for students to describe why it's important for them to know the correct names for their private parts. That's what's going on. Was that Jersey? Yeah. Hold on. Yeah, that's New Jersey. Terrific. Let's scoot over to Alabama. Alabama Governor Kay Ivey signs bill banning genital mutilation, violators to face felony charges. The Violation Protection Act says, That employees as well as employees of public school prescribing, dispensing, administering, or otherwise supplying puberty-blocking medication, that's a nice way to put it, is against the law. Performing surgeries that sterilize, performing surgeries that artificially construct tissue with the appearance of genitalia, that differs from the individual's biological sex. A violation constitutes a Class C felony. Students must use bathrooms and locker rooms that correspond with their biological sex of their chosen gender identity. <laughs> this, I got to tell you, I don't know who KIV is. I th- we might have some of that in our garden. I could be wrong about it. It's the, it's the type that it'll grow on brick without actually adhering to the brick, which can really corrupt your mortar. At any rate, whoever this KIV is, listen to this talk. I just... I just like this kind of language these days. I signed two bills into law to protect our kids in Alabama. The first bill makes clear boys will only use the boys' bathroom and ladies will only use the ladies' bathroom. (laughs) She hates kids. Oh. I mean, try to imagine something more fundamental and basic than genders. I can. God. 
He is the most obvious thing on the planet. When people suppress that truth in unrighteousness, it's a piece of cake to suppress being a boy with boy parts when you feel like you might be a girl. That's, it's an easy extension of the bigger denial, which is the existence of God. That's Alabama common sense. Thank you. Here in Alabama, we're going to go by how God made us. If the good Lord made you a boy, you're a boy. And if he made you a girl, you're a girl. It's simple. Thank you very much, Governor Ivey. Enough, quote, enough of this woke, radical nonsense that preys on our kids. Amen. This is, this is child abuse. This is criminal activity against a child. This is malpractice. Let's call this what it is. Well, you're just not, you're just not woke to progressive ideologies. Okay, your thinking is cuckoo. I don't know what else to say at this point. We're going to focus on protecting our kids and keeping our schools focused on being a place where students learn the fundamentals. Thank you. This follows what we've already done to protect girls' sports in Alabama. Girls play girls' sports with girls, and boys play sports with boys. Just more Alabama common sense. Well, we all know that common sense had a funeral many years ago. It was attended by morals. Values made an appearance. Traditions showed up. And, of course, Christianity was, oh, no, they want to kill Christianity. That's what they'd like to do. And that is what so much of this is about. This is just about anti-God ideologies, warring against God, warring against truth. And we shouldn't be shocked that a world that denies and rejects the existence of God would deny and reject the existence of genders. This is Wretched Radio. This is Wretched Radio, and I'm Jimmy Hicks. Well, we start in Guam, where the story of Coach Conrad Kerber is currently making headlines. Coach Kerber is a high school rugby coach of both the girls' and boys' teams, two separate teams, and he's speaking out, demanding the league that his teams compete in put a ban on transgender players. This past weekend, Coach Kerber says three of his girls were injured in the same game by the same transgender player. Yeah, you know, rugby's a rough sport on its own, but putting a naturally born male onto a field running full speed to hit a female, that's not a good idea. It's extremely dangerous, and it's reckless, and it's irresponsible, and it's immoral, and it's unfair. You get the point. The Florida Department of Education announced the rejection of dozens of math textbooks recently because the writers of the textbooks have decided to incorporate CRT and other politics into math. So math is apparently not only about math anymore. Yeah, when it comes to the indoctrination and brainwashing of your children, for the woke world, nothing is off limits. Not even math. So without going into all of the detail of this story, let me just share with you a summary. A Scottish inmate who started his jail sentence as a male decided 14 years later he actually felt more like a woman, so he was transferred, I believe, to a women's facility. But that game of pretend apparently ran its course, didn't get him enough attention, so now he is transitioning to live as an infant. 
a baby. The whole deal. He's wearing diapers, he eats pureed baby food, and the Scottish prison system has decided it needs to perpetuate the lies. They gave him a doll to cuddle with. Yeah, there are so many more details to this story. You will want to read it. Just Google Daniel Eastwood, Scottish prisoner, and you'll find the story. Recently, during chapel service at Duke Divinity, that's Duke University Seminary, this is how things opened up. Morning, the holy and queer one be with you. Would you please stand and pray with me the words found in your bulletin? Strange one, fabulous one, fluid and ever becoming one. Yep, that's real. Real unbiblical, real heretical, and certainly real disappointing. Well, I know most of you have been on the edge of your seats waiting for this. Well, it's here. It's finally here. The pregnant man emoji from Apple is finally available. What a treat. Okay, look, I know this is ridiculous and it's absurd, but we can find the positive in all things. The way I see it, we have options now. Instead of only using the eye rolled emoji for things that are blatantly stupid, we can now use the pregnant man emoji. Because, you know, it's blatantly stupid. See, Outlook is everything. More Ragged Radio is straight ahead. I'm Jimmy Hicks. God has given the church many gifts for the building up of the body. One gift is the ability to discern between true and false spirits. Satan masquerades as an angel of light, and many false teachers present their lies as God's truth. But God has given us His truth, and He has equipped us to tell true from false in accordance with His Word. This is Wretched Radio with Todd Friel. A devotional that's actually helpful? They do exist. This is Wretched Radio. I hold in my never-before nicotine-stained fingers a new resource we have at Wretched.org titled Assurance, Resting in God's Salvation. And what arrested me about this book is how eminently practical it is. It is a devotional because people who are lacking assurance really do need to cut back on how much they study themselves and spend more time studying God. But this devotional also will provide helpful questions that will help you actually apply it. I think we can do more of that. Once again, I think we have a demonstration that we are allergic to any of the practices of the liberals. They do it, therefore, we can't do anything that has anything to do with that subject matter. And I think feelings is one of them. We, we conservatives, we're, we're, we're brain people. We want our feelings to be informed by our gray matter, not just mysticism, not just psychotropics. No, no, no. Knowledge about God, self, what Jesus has done, that brings about stabilized emotions increasingly in alignment with God's way of thinking. Having said that, the feelings side of Christianity, which is all about, doesn't it feel good to be, oh, just feels so good to be held by Jesus. And, and so we hear about feelings and we go, blah, can't do that. Not going to let the liberals rob us of the joy of feelings. In this particular context, here's a question that I would ask that has the word feelings. You're lacking assurance. This is an Easter question for you. I just read this somewhere. <laughs> but the question was, how does it make you feel 
Now, I read that first line and I'm like, oh boy, here we go with the squishy Bible study. How does it make you feel to know that Jesus Christ died to forgive you of all of your sins? How does that make you feel? And I think the idea, the import behind it was, think about this. It should cause emotions. It should cause feelings. And if you're lacking assurance, think thoughts about what Jesus did and let it affect you. It has to filter through your noggin first, but let it trickle down to your heart. If you're in Christ, you've repented and put your trust in Jesus Christ. Your sins are forgiven. How does that feel? Hmm. Why? Why don't you? Why don't you take a moment till you do feel that, and move it from not just head but down to heart. This booklet does it. You can find it at wretched.org. It's called Resting in God's Salvation. Here's what it said: The antidote to doubt never comes as a result of increasing your gaze outward to your circumstances or focusing inward on yourself. Amen. It comes when you look more intently upward to a God who moves toward you in order to live with you. That's Romans 5, 1 and 2. We've been introduced to this relationship with the God who says, you know what? I want those people to be in my paradise. They're my little image bearers. They're mine. I value them. Despite their lack of value, I value them and I want them. That's why Jesus died, to accomplish that. That's one of the reasons. Your doubts tempt you to move away from him or from anything that reminds you of him, but those are precisely the times when you need to look even more intently into Scripture to see a God who longs to help his people deal with their fear and uncertainty. This booklet will help you do that. If you're not sure that God has saved you and is working in your life, it's because you believe that the momentary, fleeting things of this life have more influence in you and on you than does the God who made you, redeems you, and sustains you. This is another way that you could look at this. You've repented and put your trust in Jesus Christ. You've done that. But I don't know. Now, there might be a reason to do that if you see zero fruit in your life. If you have no church members who are affirming that you are growing in your sanctification, and it it might do you good to stop and take a look and go, am I really walking in the faith? And what is my trajectory? Am I growing up in sanctification? Have I kind of flatlined or, uh uh-oh, am I starting to slip slide away? It's good to do that a bit, but more than that, you want to be looking at Jesus Christ so that you can be knowing the truth. That's where you need to be studying. That's what you need to be focusing. And if you have been constantly going, but I don't need, but maybe, and I did the thing with the deal, then you're believing a lie. You're just not believing the truth. God says, you've repented, put your trust in me, you're mine. The end. Simple as that. Every time that you doubt that, you call God a liar. And I know that you don't want to do that. Back to the devotional on assurance. There is at least one thing you have done that creeps into your mind at the oddest times when your guard is down. Something you can't let go of. That you think about far more than you'd like. Something that you find unforgivable. Does that describe you? This is day one of the Assurance Devotional by William P. Smith. That's when it's helpful to consider the first human sin. Back in the Garden of Eden, the results of that sin 
real bad, all humanity plunged into sin so that we're each born at war with God. It bound every one of our race to an inescapable death. It subjected the entire universe to the curse of frustration and decay so that nothing works or lasts the way that it should. Nothing you have done or ever will do can begin to compare with the tragedy that Adam and Eve wrote for their first for the rest of their descendants. But what did God do with them? He offered them mercy. He offered them grace. They threw the world into sin. I don't know what you've done, but it ain't that bad. It really isn't. And if God has the ability to forgive Adam and Eve, if God has the ability to save billions of people who many of them probably have done worse than you, trust his word. He can forgive you. Don't let that thing, whatever it is, that intrusive thought, that haunting memory, when it enters, just remind yourself of truth. God cleanses to the core. And this sin, while I might have remembrance of it, which should drive me to be more grateful toward Jesus, I am not going to let it rob me of assurance. So here's the reflection questions. Think about the thing that most haunts your conscience. How does it res- how does its result compare in size or scope to that of the first human sin? So after reading about Adam and Eve, being reminded they could be forgiven, now you think about that. Just think about that. Think about the thing that most haunts you. How does it compare to Adam and Eve's sin? Oh, well, it was pretty bad. I mean, I kind of trashed my life, but they trashed everybody's life. Reflect. What do you think is more powerful? Your ability to ruin your life or God's ability to rescue and restore it? Hint, which do you spend more time thinking about? That might be your problem. Start thinking more about God. Now, you might say, I can't stop thinking about what I've done. For I know my transgression, my sin is ever before me. Well, that happens to be day two of this devotional available at wretched.org. While the problem consumes mind and heart, an individual can't stay locked up inside self. That would be foolish. Since his mind and heart got him into trouble, they won't be much help getting him out. And so he doesn't keep trying to deal with the mess or to figure out how to make things right on his own. Instead, you must run to God. But this person doesn't go to God in order to hear the same thoughts that come from within him, the thoughts that accuse and condemn him. Instead, he goes to God for mercy, for compassion, for cleansing, for a clean heart, for God's renewed presence in his life, and for freedom from guilt. He goes to God on the strength of what he could do to make things right with God, but on the strength of what God has done to make things right. David ran to God once he was accused and once he was convicted. It appears that he was living in a bit of denial and his bones ached within. But then when Nathan confronted him, he, he, he ran to God and confessed his sin. That's what you need to do, too. Don't you, you commit a sin. You think of a sin. Just run to God. You say, but it was a really dirty thought. Run to God. You say, I was really, really nasty to my kids. Run to God. I looked at pornography. Run to God fast now. Don't delay. Reflect. What does the ugliness of David's sin tell you about the greatness of God's grace? 
And you say, but I keep on sinning. Why do I keep doing these things? Reflect. God's unchangeableness means that he keeps wooing you back when you stray, just as he did before you first turned to him. When was the last time you told him how amazed you are at his commitment to you? And then take some time to do that. If you're struggling with assurance, you want the joy of your salvation to return, I would encourage you, avail yourself of this resource. It's called Assurance, Resting in God's Salvation. We have a slew of biblical counseling books along with our new series, Transformed, because assurance is a big issue these days. And God wants to kill it inside of you so that you can know you are his and have the joy that he wants you to have. This is Wretched Radio. Let's visit a preborn life center in action. Look at that baby. Abortion pill reversal actually works. That's a beating heart. Look how strong it is. Tell me. That doesn't encourage you to consider supporting preborn.org slash wretched. $28 purchases a free ultrasound for a mommy who will choose life. It is indeed about saving babies' lives via $28 ultrasounds, but it is also sharing the gospel so that moms and dads get saved. Would you please consider supporting preborn centers with as many free ultrasounds as you can? $28 for an ultrasound, 80% of the time saves a life. Learn more at preborn.org slash wretched. I could spend the next 60 seconds telling you things like Wretched Radio airs on over 820 Christian radio stations, or Wretched TV appears on 125 Christian TV stations. I could tell you that the Wretched Radio podcast has had nearly 5 million downloads in the last year, or the Wretched YouTube channel has had nearly 125 million all-time views. But I'm not going to do that. Instead, I'm going to say thank you. Thank you for your continued support that has helped us reach millions of people all all over the world with the gospel. Wretched Radio and TV, Road Trip to Truth, and our newest production, Transformed, are all possible because of the support of our gospel partners. If you're not a gospel partner, would you please prayerfully consider becoming one? We rely on your kindness and your generosity and your ongoing prayers. Visit wretched.org donate to get all of the details. That's wretched.org donate, or you can text the word wretched to the number 44321. Confession, normally numbers aren't my favorite subject, but these numbers make me happy. MediShare is affordable biblical health sharing with twice the satisfaction rate of MediShare members versus traditional health insurance plans. The average family saves $500 per month. Over $3 billion worth of medical bills have been shared among MediShare members, which, by the way, MediShare has been around for a quarter of a century. Don't forget, telehealth is available at MediShare, and it will take you two minutes to receive a quote to see what you and your family could be saving every single month with MediShare. Affordable biblical health sharing. Please spend a very worthwhile two minutes at 844-34-BIBLE, 844-34-BIBLE. 
disciples of Christ. In the Bible, Jesus is given many titles that teach us about who he is and what he has done. Jesus is called our Passover. During the first Passover, God spared those whose doors were covered with the blood of a lamb. When we trust in Christ, we are covered by his blood so that we are spared from God's wrath. This is Wretched Radio with Todd Friel. If you're grieving, did you know you might have a mental health disorder? This is Wretched Radio, the DSM-5. It is far too active in our culture in identifying people's problems as mental illness. The latest report, prolonged grief disorder. I see. So somebody got together and went, so how long do you think somebody should be mourning the loss of a parent? Do you think that should be longer or shorter than mourning the loss of a child? A car accident. What do you, how long do you think they should be grieving for, expert people? How ridiculous is this? Prolonged grieving disorder. Quote, people with prolonged grief are considered to have intense feelings and preoccupied thoughts that distress them or impede their daily functioning Beyond the, quote, normal grieving process. Well, what exactly is the normal grieving process, oh, experts? And the answer is you don't know because there isn't one. Everybody deals with issues differently. And this is yet another attempt, in my opinion, to medicate a grieving world. What are they determining? That if you are an adult and you've been mourning for longer than a year, you have a mental disorder. What do we do with mental disorders these days? You medicate it. If you're a child and you have been grieving the loss of something for more than six months, you have a mental disorder. I'll tell you, this, this, this whole thinking is a mental disorder is what this is. According to the APA, people with prolonged grief may experience intense longings for the deceased No, no way. What kind of craziness is that? That they feel intense sadness because they lost their partner of 50 years being married happily. And now a half a century later, they're without. Get over it, granny. You got a year to get this figured out. This is Mm, this is cruelty. This is cruelty. And we can, by the way, we can commit this cruelty in the church. We can. Be careful with this. You, you don't get to determine how long somebody grieves either. There is no question about it. Somebody can remain in a prolonged state of grief and be sinning. There's no question about that. But determining that, whoa, we better slow our roll. I have seen too many Christians wounded. They have lost someone. And somebody goes, well, how long has it been? A month? What, aren't you back at work yet? What, well, I would just think that, well, maybe you're just grieving a little too much. Oh, oh, really? Grief is right. That we, I think I mentioned medicating normal. It's one of these documentaries about medicating normal behavior. <laughs> Hence the title, Medicating Normal. And these are people, these are soldiers who saw something awful, and then they go to the experts who say, well, take this pill. They get addicted. Their emotions get flatlined. They end up being very blue and often suicidal because it could be argued. Psychotropics do not have the side effect of suicidal ideations or homicidal ideations. 
it could be argued, no, that's what they do. That's why we, another reason we are seeing such a huge uptick in suicides, track it back to the medications. This is not an outright denunciation of everything medical, of course, but it is the prescribing of brain-altering drugs when somebody is just sad that they were standing with their brother in arms in war and a bullet went through his throat and you lived? Get over it! You got a year to move on. Otherwise, get ready for a script to be written. You've got a preoccupation with thoughts of the deceased or in children and adolescents with the circumstances around the death. These reactions would further affect them most of the day, nearly every day, for at least a month. (laughs) In children, oh, did I say a year for adults earlier? Wasn't a year? You don't agree for a month. You got a month. Okay. That's all. Well, this just got entirely preposterous. I thought a year was ridiculous. In children, the DSM notes, the condition can be diagnosed six months after the loss. So the kids... We'll give them a little more time. Last Friday, I had one of the most, I'm trying to think of a more difficult interview. Okay, okay, in a different sense, Tabidi Anyabwile was a difficult interview. Okay, in a different way, Christopher Hitchens was a pretty difficult interview. Interviewing Tim Challies was difficult for a completely different reason. You'll recall that Tim lost his son a year ago, or a little over a year ago. He just died while at Boyce, studying to be a pastor. They don't know the cause of death. He fell down dead. Autopsy, revealing nothing, leaving the parents, of course, just would like to know why. They don't need to know, but they'd like to know why. And I shared with you Tim's blogs along the way. Well, he's compiling it into a book. It'll be available in September. But I happen to hold a number of excerpts from it. And these are hard. And interviewing Tim was hard. I'm pleased to announce we both held it together pretty well. But it was hard listening to him write things like this. This is initially after. His son has died. In this dim fog, I still don't fully believe that Nick is gone. I don't trust myself to believe it. Even though I'm the one who wrote his obituary, I find myself reading it again and again to assure that it's all true. I've gone so far as to pinch myself, to ask Aileen, to assure me I am awake. What if I nodded off and this is just an awful dream? What if I've fallen sick and this is some feverish nightmare? What if I mistakenly popped the wrong pill and now I'm hallucinating? Aren't those scenarios more likely than a young man just falling down dead? The DSM would yell at him, you need to get over it. It's been over a month. I tap Nick's name into my computer and find a news story. Hashtag heartbroken boys college students mourn the abrupt death of Nick Challies. So it is true. But somehow it still wouldn't shock me if my phone rang and I saw his name and heard his voice. I'm hovering in this place between belief and disbelief, between certainty and doubt. I don't know what to think. I don't know what to do. I don't know what to feel. And Tim is a rock-solid brother. Grief is a normal human response to tragedy. 
Don't let people rush you through it. Now, if they do come to you lovingly at some point and they've been walking with you and they bring it up to you to say, hey, maybe there's some things we could start doing that that might just help to perhaps start to moderate some of the intense feelings. Listen to that. But those comments that people make, well, what do you mean it's been a month? Don't listen to that. I don't even know what to feel about my faith, writes Tim, about my God. I should pray, shouldn't I? But I don't find anything to say. I should open my Bible, right? But I can't focus on the words. My eyes flit about, skimming over chapters and verses, never pausing long enough to absorb a thing. I feel so much and so little. The pain is searing and dull. I'm writhing in agony and laying still, crying and laughing, rejoicing, lamenting. What am I supposed to do? How can I orient myself when everything is so dim, so dull, so dark? That's, that's transparent. And I don't think that he's sinning in that. It's just you get rocked with the death of a loved one. And you get rocked when you lose something that's precious or you have a moral wound. And so Tim, as a part of his book, I'll share just a bit of this with you. I encourage you to get it when it comes out in September. My manifesto, my manifesto, perhaps if you have been grieving for, I'm not going to use a number of months or years. I'm just going to say, it just seems like it's been a long time for you. Maybe this will help you. Maybe you could join Tim in this manifesto. By faith, I will accept Nick's death as God's will. And by faith, accept that God's will is always good. By faith, I will be at peace with providence and by faith at peace with its every decree. By faith, I will praise God in the taking as I did in the giving. And by faith, receive from his hand this sorrow as I have so many joys. I will grieve, but not grumble. Mourn, but not murmur. Weep, but not whine. Though I will be scarred by Nick's death, I will not be defined by it. It will always be a part of my story, but it will never become my identity. I will be forever thankful God gave me a son and never resentful that he called him home. My joy in having loved Nick will be greater than my grief in having lost him. I will not waver in my faith, nor abandon my hope, nor revoke my love. I will not charge God with wrong. And it goes on. Church, we've got a lot of grieving people in our midst. Let's love on those people. Be patient with those people. Encourage those people on occasion. Potentially lovingly exhort those people. But let's not think that they have a mental illness simply because they have been mourning for longer than a month. How out of touch is the DSM? Until tomorrow, go serve your king.